G'day and welcome to Dog Talk. I'm Dan Camilleri. And I'm Laura McKillop. We'd like to start by thanking Enduro for their ongoing support in bringing you our weekly Q&A. Today we are fortunate enough to be speaking with Steve Wayman. Steve will be picking who he thinks has asked the best question and they'll be, uh, they will win a bag of Enduro Plus ING food for working dogs with real kangaroo meat. Hey Steve, how's it going? I'm oh, bloody good mate, how are you? That's the way. Yeah, good, thank you. We'd like to thank Steve for um, having a chat with us on short notice today. Um, thanks for your time, mate. My guest today. <laughs> How's the morning been? Morning's been good. I've been waiting for a boat to come up from Sydney for bloody hours. And then I had to go and check my cows. I went and done that while I was waiting for him. And anyone that was coming from Sydney to care, like you think you'd check your lights the night before, wouldn't you? <laughs> you think so, mate. Speaking about checking things, how'd you go looking for your car keys this morning? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, you just heard all about it. My <laughs> wife took him to work with her in a bloody handbag, mind you. I'll oh. be looking for about three hours. Oh, that's not know. good. <laughs> so, we'll jump straight into it, Steve. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? Oh, where do you want to start? Um, I started, well, I left school when I was about 14, but I'd already done an apprenticeship building. Yep. And always wanted to be on the land. So after I was about 21, I took off, ended up in Budgie, uh, worked on a place up there with cattle. And that's where I sort of started into dogs pretty much. Um, we used to do AI programs of about oh, four or 500 cows in a mob. And then we were AIing to uh, European breeds like um, Keenaners, Marsiganas, Brown Swiss, Simmentels, and oh, heaps of others. Um, and then one day we were sort of uh, sending a load of cattle into town. It was when two-decker cattle crates first come out and we tipped a load of cattle over on a hairpin bend about halfway back to Mudgee. And then we went up, we had to go back up and get them. And then uh, the bloke's place they landed on was a bloke called George Cover. Now we went out with him to get the, the cattle and he just had two collies and they walked these bloody big steers in like Brown's cows. And yeah. then I got talking to him about his dogs and he's an old three sheep fellow. And Mudgy was really strong in three sheep trolling back them days. So that, that's sort of back in the seventies. And uh, yeah, they sort of, I used to go up there often and um, yeah, just bloody play with dogs. And started, that's where I started three sheep. And I had a few, couple of Kelpies at the time, one was a Spinifex one and one was a Mason one, which is Sydney Girls. Um, then I went to Reach Flats and a, the farm that now uh, Dave, what's his name? Crawford. Number, yeah, Dave Crawford's place now. And I put that together originally back in the day. And yeah, that's sort of, we had about 30,000 weathers and Probably uh, a couple of thousand first cross years, thousand gates, and probably a couple hundred cattle. And that's when I had probably my uh, best dogs. And then I was probably in my 30s then. And uh, when all the trialling was happening. And then I was around when we formulated the first yard dog committee. I was the secretary originally. And then we, um, we also had uh, the first field trial as we know it today. Uh, at Borua back in the uh, late 70s, probably early 80s. And other than that, we used to have a 
field trial at Jack Bodies in Holbrook, where you cast your dog on five sheep, you brought them in, put them in a pen, you drafted off three sheep, and then you put those three sheep through the obstacles, and that was a field trial. Um, yeah. Being a young boy at the heart and a few of other other fellas, we got a mucked around. We had uh, Chris Stapleton, uh, Mel Peak, oh, there's a heap of us, Bill Gannon. We all sort of got going and uh, we started breeding dogs and mucking around with these trials. And the three sheep trials didn't really suit our dogs. So that's when we started the yard trials and field trials. Yeah. So, um, still mucking around with a couple. I've got two dogs at the moment. They're both Capri dogs. One's Mindy and one's uh, Tina. Both out of Sophie and yeah, just got a. I run a few Aussie white uh, ewes and I've got uh, semi-cross cattle. And just muck around, it's sort of semi-retired, I suppose you'd call me. And but I still, just like to keep myself busy and yeah, just keep poking about. So where did your passion for working dogs and uh, livestock come from? Um, I've always had dogs, like when I was young for on the coast, we always had pig dogs and I, when I was a little, little, we used to go on foot, mind you, chasing bloody rabbits with sheep dogs, so old, yeah. old collie dogs and things. And I've always sort of liked dogs and liked farming. And when I got to Budgie, that's where the passion probably started. Um, and that's when I started three sheep trialling. Yeah. Um, yeah, and it just sort of grew from there. The, probably the, the four major people that have been influential in my trialling career have been old George Cover, uh, Toby Lindsay, would probably be me three sheep fellas, and then even Johnny White and old Jack Body were probably three sheep fellas as well. But they were Kelpie fellas. Johnny and Jack were Kelpies, and the other fellas were Collies. Old Pip Hudson, he was always hanging around, and his buddy Mick used to follow us around when he was a boy. Yeah. He's now a bit of a legend. <laughs> Did all right the other week down the hall, didn't he? Uh, oh. I made a buddy training tape. Oh, back in 80-something, three, I think. And in that training tape, I picked a fella out that I thought was an up-and-coming young fella. Um, oh, probably, I don't know how long ago, Greg Prince, his name was. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the rest of that's history. Did he come out handy with a dog? He was there fairly handy. <laughs> yeah, he, he come there with one day. He come there and we had an interview on the tape. I still got the tape somewhere. But uh, he had an interview on the back of the ute and had an old dog uh, called Lady, I think her name was. And she she won a fair few trials. Um, and he was just a wizard, but anyway. And that's uh, where Mick probably got it from, apart from that and old Pip. Pip's pretty handy with the dog. So a little story we had about Pip years ago. Pip used to do a lot of schools and stuff. And, uh, yeah, he had a dog that was broken in back to front. So all the commands were sort of back to front. And so he give a demonstration. He used to always say that, you know, dogs can't speak English and so it's very you know, important to repeat the same lessons over and over and over. So he had these dogs that, you know, he'd say sit and it'd stand up and he'd say come here and it'd go away and everything was back to front. Like it was hilarious to watch. But I don't know what ever happened to it, but I don't know how it even worked the bloody thing. But anyway. <laughs> be hard trying to remember the opposite of what you're trying to do, wouldn't it? Oh, it was crazy. Like it used to be, yeah. like everyone would crack out when you're working it. Um, but anyway, that was just another little thing. Did you ever pitch yourself doing anything different? 
Uh, or like different? Did you ever picture a different career when you were younger? Do you ever think about doing anything else away from dogs? Or um, yeah, well, not really. I wanted to be on the land, and dogs just sort of seemed to come with it. And the bloke I first started working with, he was into kelpies a bit. Um, and then he was sort of tied up with these girls in Sydney that used to breed the dogs down there. And like, so you go back to when I started, it was probably nearly when the Kelpie Council started as well. Like I'm going back into the 70s, late 70s. Yeah. I'm not quite sure when they kicked off, but it wouldn't have been, they wouldn't have been very old anyway. And um, they're just trying to find a, yeah, the right Kelpies and I've been mucking around with them ever since. Had about 10 years in a bike shop, um, which was, Fairly recent, like um, can't remember what years they were, but yeah. I, then I got out of that and sort of semi-retired, and they just got the Aussie white years now and some. Yeah, that was in town here too, wasn't it, in Botra? Yeah, in yeah. Cara, yeah. So tell us, mate, who who was your first dog and what breed was it? Oh, my first dog was a dog called Spinifex Grub. Might be a better name, and then she was a little bitch. She was going, she used to go right at tree sheep and trolls, but we didn't know nothing about backing and barking and all that then. What we used to do probably one of the things we used to do in the early days is when you're filling up a race, you'd send your dog up the outside of the race and they get up to the front and then sort of jump in the race and come back through the sheep. Basically the same principle as today, but today they back. And I mean backing wasn't much of a thing way back then. And like even today, backing's not much of a thing really. It, it only gives a dog a reason to go from A to B. It doesn't do anything. Like you can watch a dog, you see it on bloody TV all the time where they run up and down their backs and the sheep don't go forward one inch. Um, so, the, you know, the dog's really got to drop into the race and come back through them to be, be effective. Um, you know, and I mean, there's a there's a girl in Dubbo that works in the side yards, Bianca Goodson. Um, people sort of talk about her dogs in a way, but um, not necessarily nice, but I, I mean, she held 6,000 sheep a day and they can back, oh, shit, I don't know how far they'd back if they had to. Like 200 metres is nothing. Yeah. And, you know, then they sort of say, oh, well, no, 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 they're not much good. But, you know, they do that sort of work every day. They've got to be half handy, haven't they? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What style of dog do you like? Ooh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? <laughs> um, I like a dog with a good nature first, um, probably strong. Yeah. I like a strong dog, a strong dog with cover, which is a bit like rocking horse pup to get hold of. Um, yeah, usually you get one or the other. Yep. Most strong dogs usually lack a bit of footwork, and good footwork dogs aren't usually that strong. But you will get get them from time to time. I had my probably favourite one was Old Baron Bogey Mac. He had all that, and yeah, so um, yeah, you ought to go through a lot of dogs. I, I used to reckon years ago when I worked a lot of dogs, you get one in thirty that were good, like above average. Like yeah, uh, you get plenty of good ones, but not real good ones. And you mentioned earlier um, about um, working out at Numbi and whatnot, and now you got um, your cattle and your yeah. sheep on different properties. Yeah, does the uh, Probably the country you work now require a particular style of dog? No, nothing like we had out there. Like at Numbi too, we had, it's all hills basically. And then most of the paddocks were a thousand acres. Yeah. And your sheep used to be like probably around a thousand sheep to a mob. 
roughly. And then um, you didn't handle them that much, but I mean, you, you had still have plenty of stock work to do. Um, because like the time you'd done the shearing and the dipping, like that was probably half the year nearly, and the crutching. Um, yeah, it was just good, a good place to work good dogs. And it sorted the, doddy, the dogs out pretty quick too, out there, because a lot of the time they're working that far away, you couldn't even see the dog. You only had to watch which way the sheep were going, and that way you could see what was happening. I remember a, a bit of a story way back when Mac was only young. Uh, we were mustering in a big paddock. That's oh, sort of over the river, but it's probably about a thousand acres. It's all hills and a, like a big gully down the middle of it. And we were mustering over there, and I had Mac and two others, and we're bringing these mob of weathers in to drench the next day. And anyway, he disappeared, and I thought, oh, the bugger's gone home. We've got out of bitching season at home, and I thought, well, he's gone home for a bit of lust. And anyway, he got home, and he wasn't there. And uh, I thought, oh, well, buggy, you know. Got up the next morning, he still wasn't there. Then we went back over the river, and he, he found about 20 sheep, and he had them to hold them on the gate, waiting for me to come and get them. That was back back then. He was only a young dog. He was probably only a two-year-old then. Yeah. Yeah, well. And you find now, um, being semi-retired, probably got a, you're a bit more patient and got a bit more time when you're working. I've got a lot more patience. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, do you reckon your dogs are better for that as well? Uh, I'd probably like a different sort of dog now too because now they don't do as much. Yep. Um, and they live in town. They've got to be able to, you know, they've got to be pretty cruisy to live in town and don't get worked every day, but I get, they get a run pretty much every day. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, and I, I I create work a bit, you know. You know, if you got to do two or three things with the with the sheep, I usually do that over two or three days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, drag it out. Yeah, get them in and put them out, let them in, put them out. <laughs> I go over to Chris Tableons a bit. I we go and muck around with dogs over there a bit. Yep. Um, he's pretty handy with a dog. And would you do what you do now without a dog? Oh shit, no. Oh, I'd be poor as a crow. <laughs> no, I just, I just got a buggy and I sit in the buggy and they do everything. I don't do anything. The only thing I do is bloody drench sheep or cattle. Um, I've got those, well, Aussie whites are all shattered, so, you know, we don't do any shearing or crutching or anything. That's really only landmarking and drenching, vaccinating. So has what you like changed over the years? Oh, Laura, I'm struggling. That's all right. What do you like in a dog? Has that changed? Um, probably a little bit. Um, probably when I was younger, I liked them probably a bit rougher. Whereas yep. now I'm probably going for a more calmer type dog that's a bit easier to work and a little bit less stressful to work. Um, I work my dogs a lot. Uh, without commands, I break them in with commands, obviously. But uh, when I'm breaking one in, I probably don't have any commands on it really when I start it. Um, I just want to go around sheep and do its thing. Um, and then I just pick the one that I like probably out of that because I used to, used to start about half a dozen pups at a time. And then it was if I was working it the way, if it was working the way I like a dog to work, well, that's sort of the one I kept. And then all you do then from there on is just put commands on its natural ability. So it's pretty easy to break them in. And I never sort of put 
like a lot of people go overboard with the the, the recall and the and a sit and a stop before they start working. Well, I'm completely opposite. You know, I, I'll have to run my dog down to catch it when I first start it, or leave a long string on it usually, and then um, I don't really start putting any commands on a dog till they get the nitty gritty of holding sheep to you. And I only probably put them in a little yard for like twice. And then I'll go into a like a big yard, like a size of a building block, or and then just out in the paddock, and then just have an old dog with you, but you hold them together in case it all turns spare shape. But I'm not a big, big fan of working a pup in a yard at all. Why is that? <laughs> um, I just don't think it helps the pup. I mean, especially when they get to like four or five months old or three months old. There's, they generally work in many yards too small and then the dog can't get its natural distance off the sheep so you don't really know what its natural distance is and then when it's running around the sheep it's it's tending to hit the sheep up the bum all the time so you just end up with a round and round and round and round and round because the dog can't get to the head or can't balance the sheep up properly so it's just yeah it just creates drama to me i don't like it that makes sense <laughs> yeah, absolutely, and we'll get into a bit more of that um, training too, if you're right with that. Yeah. But, and you're not breeding a lot of dogs now, but when you were breeding dogs, what were you looking for in your own line? I've never been a breeder. Yeah. And a lot of blokes will probably agree with that because yeah. even when I had Mac, they used to say, well, how do you didn't breed him more often? And mostly, the, mostly people bought bitches to Mac, not yeah. vice versa. And uh, I did breed a, breed a few, but not that many. Um, I'd rather go and find a dog when I was cruising around and you'd see someone that had a dog that I really liked and I'd like to try and buy it so I could compete with it. Yeah. And as long as it had the attributes that I wanted, um, I used to borrow dogs even. <coughs> and uh, I can remember an incident oh, about years and years ago. We were going from a trial, I think it was a Wagga trial, down to South Australian Championships or something and we were going, we'd done a three-sheep trial on the way. And um, the lady down there called Nancy with us, she was with us and she had, she didn't have three sheep dogs at all. And I had a three sheep dog, which was called Troy, but he was a yard dog too. But anyway, she went out with the dog and stood at the peg and I sat on the fence and she walked around the course and I worked the dog from the fence. And they were none the wiser. And I mean, I, I hate to do it today, they lock you up, I think. <laughs> Probably. Oh, yeah, the throat pains it. Yeah, Troy was a long-haired collie. I got him off Toby Lindsay. Um, he was, he, I think he won the Australian Championships at Euroa one year. We finished the trial at two o'clock in the morning from memory. So he just kept going and going and going and going. Toby Lindsay judges it and, oh, we were just, yeah, it just got out of hand and they just didn't finish till very, very late. Yeah. And uh, all the guys come over from South Australia. We used to have a heap of people come over for the trials here in South Australia, like Billy. And we used to go over there too back then. Um, I, I think the, the camaraderie was different. I wouldn't say better or worse, but it was different back then to what it is today. Mm -hmm. yeah, there's probably not as many, there are probably not as many people trialling there either. So what, what would be different? Reckon just oh, feel or? One, of the, one of the things that when, Yard trials first started. So I was involved in the very first ones. 
Now, the yard trials, when that started, we used to probably have 25 or 30 sheep in the yards. We'd be working and then the, the race was always full. Um, so you had a few sheep to work. And I mean, there's people saying today that, oh, there should be more sheep, should be more sheep. And, but we did all that. And then, but the, you know, the, the laws have got on top of a little bit today and um, yeah, it made it a bit harder. Uh, but I mean, it's still, it's, it's still out there. I mean, if someone wants to run a trial with 100 sheep, they still can. I mean, when we started, like there was only three sheep trials. And so we started off the yard trials and the, the field trials as they are today. And so someone's got to start something somewhere. If they want to do it, go and do it. Cattle trials are the same. Like, cattle trials have been going for a while. I, I didn't really have much to do with them when they started. But I've worked in them. I enjoy them actually. And we talked about yeah, Troy and Collie today, Kelpies. Why why Kelpies, mate? Um, I don't know. I've had a lot of Collies. I've been, I've had a lot of Collies, and mostly Laurie Slater's breed, which went back to an old dog called Cloudy. Um, he was a bloody cracking dog, I reckon. Very hard headed, very used to give old Laurie some grey hairs. But uh, Greg Prince had a dog called Di. She, she won a hell of a lot. She was by Cloudy. And was the, probably the mother of a lot of his good dogs, actually. Um, but yeah, Troy was a—he was a really nice little dog. He could—he could work a three sheep trial. Or probably all my dogs could work a three sheep trial. I mean, I—but they just weren't consistent enough. I mean, Mac won a '96 and a '98 at Breedbow one year and come second to John Perry. Oh, yeah. And uh, Alice won a '98 at Goulburn one year. She was a—oh, she was a Geraldine dog. She was out of. Um, Glen Logie, what was her name? Glen Logie, some lucky sister it was, and uh, by an Elfinvale dog, and but she was mad. God, a couple of blokes had her, and I ended up they could give her to me, and then um, I took her out and put her on bloody three sheep when I first got her home, and she went around these three sheep, and this is a true story. She was bringing them back to me flat strap like flat as they could run and she was backing them all the way back. <laughs> oh. <laughs> was crazy. But you know, she ran a run a 98 or 96 or something gold and then went out in the final and just done the usual stuff. I lost control. She lost control or something like someone lost control. <laughs> <laughs> so Chris Egan has asked, um he would <laughs> he said, after being out of dogs for a while, what traits were you looking for when getting a pup or building a team again? Uh, probably the same ones I always had. But I was really, really lucky because I'm good mates with Chris Stablin. And he used to give me pups. And then if I liked it, I kept it. And if I didn't, I'd give it back. And um, so, yeah, I sort of went with his breed because... Him and I sort of bred similar sort of dogs. He likes similar sort of dogs to me. Um, yeah, so I, that's sort of where I went. But I like them to have a bit of cover and hold and um, a bit of strength would be good. And like them to back and bark a bit. I mean, bark's not absolutely necessary, but uh, it's handy sometimes. So one, another question onto that as well. Um, Catherine Atkinson's asked, what is your worst pet hate with a dog? Um, like what fault can you just not forgive if they do? What fault? Yeah. They, um, oh. Well, this is pretty... It's good I was thinking about it. Not heading is a, is a, 
a good fault. Temperament is definitely a good big one. That's right up there. Yep. Um, if, I, if I'm picking a pup, I'll generally let the pup pick me. Um, yeah, so, you know, I wouldn't pick a pup. I was sitting over in the corner. And, yeah, that one runs up to you and starts pulling on your shoelaces. I mean, they're the ones that I like and, you know, tugging at your jeans and stuff. Um, yeah, I don't know what sort of a fault. There's a lay of lots of faults. You mentioned heading, heading there. Yeah. Why won't you tolerate a, a dog that doesn't head? Well, if the dog doesn't head, can't hold a sheep, basically. So if it can't hold a sheep, it's, you know, the day-to-day stuff is not much good because if you send it around to block up a mob of sheep and it runs along, you know, on the corner of the side, it's not, it's not achieving anything. It's just the sheep is just going away faster. Yeah. So everything compounds itself. And, yeah, and if you send a, you send a dog out in that country at Numbi, if you send a dog around a mob of sheep out there and it doesn't get it right up around the sheep, even if it crosses, it'll do the same thing. But if your dog won't get out wide and get around the head and, and get to the lead and block them, they could end up God only knows where. So they've got to get there. On that note, Chris also asked, um, if a young dog you like has really good drive and hold and works clever but doesn't always head, um, well, do you try and work on that or just accept it for what it is and work on its strengths? Yeah, I'd, I'd work on the strength. I wouldn't sack a dog because it had one fall. Heading yep. would be, it'd have to have a lot of other good ones. Yep. But, I mean, you can teach a dog to, to head to a point by control. I mean, you can control it to go to wherever you want to once you get it broken in. Um, so yeah, when you, I would I would stick with it for a fair while um, because really you can put a dog wherever you want to if you want to if you want to put the time in. Yeah. yeah. Do we have any other questions leading in to that there, Laura? No, a bit more. Yeah. Um, more questions. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to get off that easy, big fella. <laughs> um, so while we're going there. Mate, um, and we all know about uh, Mac, but who would you say was your most influential dog? Mac was to probably your most, today. Most, most influential dog. Yep. If, if you went back into the pedigrees back in the uh, 80s and you had a look at the National Kelby Trial, the Yard Trial or a Fool Trial, he would be right up there in all the dogs that were in the probably the top five or ten. Yep. He would be very dominant in their pedigree. And, you know, Chris has got a bitch called Glenn Logie Lucky that I had. And, you know, how you, how you get people wanting, not wanting, but how you get people that will handle different dogs to you. And just because you don't like a dog doesn't mean it's just not any good. I mean, Glenn Logie Lucky was like that. I, I had her and I hated her. I didn't like her one little bit. And Chris <laughs> liked her and he ended up with her. And then, buddy, well, the rest is history, really. I mean, yeah, she won everything. And, I mean, I was at a, I can remember being at a trial in Wagga. I was there for three days, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. He'd lobbed up there about bloody lunchtime on the Sunday. Give her a run, got in the final, won the final, load all the bags of dog food on the car and went home. <laughs> With her sitting up on the front seat of the Land Cruiser. Kicking yourself. Who's the best dog you ever seen then? Best dog? Yeah. Best or toughest? Both. Best 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 dog I've probably ever seen was Liz Kenamarco. Yeah. He was a really nice type and a real calm, strong and buddy. Uh, that was Max's father. Um, 
yeah, he was a he was a beautiful dog, a beautiful dog to work. Um, the toughest dog I've probably ever seen was Max's brother. Uh, he was Baron Bogey Chance. He was just one tough cookie. Like he, Malcolm worked with me at the time, and well, we worked together. And like at shearing time, he could have all the hairs standing up in the back of his bloody egg, and like he's red and tan. He used to go looking like yuck in shearing <laughs> time. And he had the pads wore off his feet, and he'd let him out of the morning, he'd hobble around, and then by, after he'd been out for about half an hour, he was good as gold, he'd muster all day. And like just back and back hard, and bloody working cattle, he was hard. There was a dog that Chance sired called uh, Put Signature. That was probably the best of his pups. Um, yeah, he just unfortunately, Chance didn't really breed on as well as Mac. But if I rated him, I'd probably have Chance in front of Mac as the dog. No, I know it was a favourite, but just it's just as a work dog. Like yeah. it was just tough and hard. Yeah. Like nothing he wouldn't do. Well, Ben's point with so many good dogs. We've had a few. Yeah. Who would you say was your favourite over the time? Oh, Mac would be. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, I mean I've had some pretty handy dogs and that that uh Geraldine Alice, she was a good bitch. Like she was she was up there. And Troy was a really good dog, very competitive. Um, I had a dog called Shelby Mindy. She was a good bitch. She won a Kelby trial once or twice. Um, oh, I can't remember the others. They're totally too old now. Yeah. <laughs> I think I moved me marbles. Never. The bloody 70 this year. That's not old. 70 years old. Bloody 70 years old. <laughs> I can remember hanging around with old blokes like that when I was starting. And I thought, geez, they're old. <laughs> So there's another question here. Catherine Atkinson's asked, what is one bit of advice you'd go back and tell yourself when you first started training dogs? Is that a good question? It is a good question. Don't overdo the early stuff like we talked about before. Don't overdo the, the recall, the stop. Uh, yeah, don't overdo it. Let the dog work it out itself. Let the dog just, yeah, let the dog settle in and work it to you. And if you don't like its work, get rid of it and get another one. Um, because it's too hard, it's too hard to break a dog in that you don't like for a start. But if it's not working the way you want to work with its natural ability, that's not gonna work. So she's also asked if you could pick one person who you think has influenced the Kelpie breed most positively over the last 50 years, who would you pick and why? How many years? 50. Last 50 years. 50 years. 50 years? One I mean, person? You a young whippersnapper, mate. You would have been 20. A person or a dog? Person. Either. Person, probably. Wow. There was probably several, really, but Tony Parsons probably had his input. Not that I don't think he could work a dog that well, but he, he had a lot of Kelpies out there with people that could. And... Uh, which was Bert Bromham, Jack Body, old um, boy Bella, can't remember his name now. Um, Ted Rutland. Yeah, they they were good dogs. And Johnny White, he's probably up there. Yep. Um, yeah, I don't, know, I don't know that there's been any one particular person that has. Um, yeah, not sure about that one. And anyone else more frequently or? Um, Probably the more modern one would be Chris Stableman. Like yeah. he's he's 
dogs are nearly in every pedigree everywhere. Mm -hmm. uh, he's bred some good dogs and he's worked some good dogs and he's got an interesting situation at the moment. And he's got uh, he's got a bitch called Capri Sophie um, and she's probably the mother to nearly every trial dog he's got other than her. So nearly every trial dog he's got at the moment is out of her, I think. I, I could be I could be wrong, but most of them are. Mm. Both of mine are. And mate, while we're there, like, what do you think makes a good sheepdog and a good cattle dog? Ooh, they're probably two different things. I mean, you can't have both. Um, it's a bit like having a good paddock dog and a good yard dog. I mean, they do come, and that's probably the one in thirty. Like if. To have a good sheep dog and a good cattle dog are probably different ends of the spectrum as far as dogs are concerned. Um, I think to have a good cattle dog, it needs to be a male. Um, I don't like working males personally, but um, males seem to be a bit tougher and a bit harder, um, whereas females are a bit softer. And I, probably why I like working on them because I just let my dogs sort of do their main thing and they must have think for themselves a fair bit. Um, yeah, so dogs. And sheep dog? Sorry? And a good sheep dog? Oh, uh, yeah, well, it's, it's the same sort of thing. Bitches probably are better sheep dogs, but a little bit softer and a bit calmer. I, I mean, I like dogs to walk their stock along nice and steady, whether it be cattle or sheep. And I don't really want them, you know, rocking the apple cart if it's not necessary. But if it is necessary, I really would like them to get in there and mix it. And I probably wouldn't work one dog on a mob of sheep or cattle for that matter, but I always work two or three. Yep. What about an all-round dog? Um, they make them, but they're a bit the same. I mean, to get a good all-rounder is, is really rare. A lot of people think they got one, but they haven't. Um, it's like Daniel talking. <laughs> <laughs> he's just got one. <laughs> he, 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 he thinks they're good. As long as these things are good, that's all that matters, really. At the end of the day, as long as you love your dogs and you love the ones you've got, and if you go to a trial and you can walk off the trial ground saying, well, he did his best, and it doesn't matter whether the score's three or 103, like, as long as they give you what they got and, and you're happy with what they did, and what you did, I mean, that's more important than what score you get. Because the, the, the day will come when he'll score well, or she'll score well, or whatever. But they don't score well every day. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's just not possible. And bark on cattle, mate? Is that a no-no? Uh, no, I don't mind bark on cattle. It's, I wouldn't I wouldn't work cows and calves with bark, personally. But, um, you know, I... I wouldn't mind cows and cows with dogs much anyway, really, but yeah. um, I don't mind a bit of bark on dry cattle and I'd rather than bark and get in and do something than do nothing. But the thing that's getting around at the moment, you, I don't, you might have even seen it, but there's a, a new club started up that's working working cattle dogs and yeah. they're purebred cattle dogs and they've actually got a bit of iron style and they'll actually hold a mob of sheep together and back sheep and they don't want to kill a sheep. And there's a there's a do this weekend in Sydney Actually, yes, it is. That's, I think you've got Den Dog Talk, haven't you? Or in the yep. magazine or something. And, there. Yeah, and that should go off very well. But it's it's yeah, it's a bit of a rarity. I had a, a, a girl, Belinda Carter, come to a dog school. And she bought them. I seen them and I thought, well, 
you know, bugger mate, look at that. And I had daddy cattle dogs all my life and they were just, you know, bred to drive and heal and bite. And, but these, these dogs actually work and it's pretty impressive. So how important is a natural calf to you? What about natural calves? How important is a natural calf? It's very good. I mean, I had a dog on something. I put it on. I'm not sure how I even put it on there, to be honest. But I had a little bit on the starter, which is Tina. She's a bit older now. She's probably 12 months older. But she had a, a really nice natural cast right from the start. And um, and then when she casts, she, she doesn't particularly stop at 12 o'clock. Like if I send her out to the left and she'd go right around probably to three o'clock. And yeah, some people might say, oh, that's bloody overdoing it. But it's, it's not really because if she go right around, like she'd go right around to the head of the sheep either way. So um, yeah, she's she's a good little bit. She had a nice natural cast. Mindy did too. Like the two dogs I got have got a good cast. Yeah. And with um, you see now a lot of auctions um, and the value of working dogs coming up. What's, what's your take on that, mate? Oh, what, what, what do you mate, think? I think it's a load of shit. <laughs> I think there's dogs on there, mate, that are making big money that I wouldn't feed. Yep. And, I mean, the people are selling them and that it's all good, but, Jesus, and dumb poor buggers out there that are buying dogs. And why, why, do, you think, oh, why do you think that is? Or? They just don't know any better. Yep. They're paying lots of money. You know, I've seen a dog, well, I don't know where it was, but it backed the race three times. And wouldn't have shifted the sheep one inch, and it bought twenty something thousand dollars. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's just oh, it amazes me the dogs that are selling. There are good dogs at the silent auction, don't worry. But gee, that's a lot of bad ones. And you think that's just um, the people purchasing them actually not knowing? Yeah, not knowing what they're looking for, and yeah. just the hype of an it's auction. I'm, a, I'm not a big auction person. I mean, I would be if I was selling. Yeah. But not to know if I'm buying because. <laughs> They get a, they get into a hype and the, you know they just do silly things. Well, Unfortunately, well, everyone has an opinion, mate, and that that's yours, so that's cool. Yeah. What what's feel to you then? Feel what what's feel to you? How do you see feel? Feel. Yeah, in a dog. Oh, I'm not really into feel. Yeah. Um, it's probably just the, the relationship between the stock and the dog, um, whether the stock get on with the dog or vice versa. Um, you know, if a dog, if you've got a good, big, strong dog and he walks in on his stock, generally they get a bit jittery and, and start bouncing around a bit. And that that's sort of what I'd probably class as feel. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, it's... it's you know, you probably see the the exaggeration of it in three sheep trials where um, they advertise they are they work on three sheep and the dogs are you know like three blocks away from where the sheep are and they they work on the sheep and but you know the dog's not in not in touch with his stock and I don't know it's just people think it's good but I don't I'm not I like That's the dog to, I like to be closer and be in touch with his stock yeah not right up. Yeah, not right up where he's making a fool of himself, but up there, you know, he's got to be in touch with what's going on. And we know that you didn't breed a lot of pups or and don't breed a lot of pups, but if you were looking at at breeding pups, right, what um what would you be considering before joining? Like, uh, well, I'm thinking of, I'm actually looking for a dog at the moment to join to Mindy, and I've been looking around and 
the dog that I would have to have. Have he's to have in the front. He's in the back of you there at the front there, mate. <laughs> yeah. I, um, it'd have to be a strong dog with a bit of cover and hold. And, um, I've got my eye on a dog, but yeah. I've got to make sure the bloke's all right with it. So. Sorry to be fine, mate. No? I'm sorry. Not yours. No, no, no. <laughs> what, what are you trying to achieve by that? Are you matching up? Um... Uh, bloodlines, basically. Yep. But it, it's important to me, anyway, that you got to find the dog that I want to use, but the bloodlines have got to be there as well. Yeah. Because it's no good having the, the dog and then having a complete outcross because you could get anything. Yeah. Um, so you got to, you, your bloodlines have got to be relative um to your breeding program mm. absolutely and, and looking for a sire like that what do you think makes a good sire what i said yeah <laughs> anything in general just like with a dog like you know you see a dog and people are like oh it's a great sire but what no. do you think so there's, there's a lot of difference between there's very 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 few great sires um there's a lot of good dogs, but they don't throw pups. Yeah. There's a lot of good bitches that don't throw pups. But I I believe that the bit side is more important than the than the size side. Yeah. Um so you know, it's really like well, just to name a couple, Chris is, Chris had a bitchy called Kate, yeah. um, which is not the current Kate he's got now. And she's the mother of Sophie. Now, Kate, I believe. His bitch was probably the best brood bitch he had at the time. And now Sophie's out of her and she, she to me, this is my, only yep. my opinion, but I think she's the best brood bitch he's got. And she's bred to several different dogs and all the pups are good. Are good. Absolutely. So, you know, um, whereas, you know, Mac and Chance, for instance, Mac bred a lot of good dogs and Chance only bred any. Yep. Yet I rated Chance as probably a better dog than Mac. So, you know, this, you know, the breeding doesn't mean everything, but if you find a dog, the breeding got to be compatible to the bitch, I think. No, absolutely. And having, like, Mac is obviously one of the most influential sires out there. That was a question I was looking forward to asking you. So it's good to see that you're not just rating just the sire either, but also the bitch has a massive stamp in your opinion. What makes you decide to breed for a bitch? What makes, what does a bitch have to do for you to go, she's worthy of breeding, breeding from? Well, I probably wouldn't breed a bitch that she was probably three. But she's got to be, have all the good things. Like she's got to be able to work, got her own brain. She's got to have a good temperament, preferably a bit of size, but not necessary. Um, you know, got to be very uh, biddable and yeah, just got to be a good mate. What what age would you start a pup? Isn't that a good one? <laughs> you can't give me the bag of dog food. <laughs> well, uh, in in the one of the things that I seen not so long ago was Sophie when she first started. I was out at Chris's place and we put her with the sheep and she was six weeks old, and she had the brains and the working ability of probably a pup six months old. Yeah. Like she was just a standout, and I would I would put a six week old, eight week old pup with sheep, but um, only in a very very controlled environment. And if it was showing the the traces that I wanted, 
I probably wouldn't work it much more. I might put it with sheep every month, maybe. Um, and then I wouldn't really get into working it much till probably six months old. And then I would work it probably on a few quieter sheep. Um, you're getting my sides a little bit organised, and um, but not any art in a paddock. And then I would go for a walk with the dog and just let it bring the sheep along behind me. And then if it, the sheep went past me, I'd make the dog go out and you know, block them up and hold them till I caught, caught up, <laughs> which is happening more frequently these days. Um, yeah, so yeah, it just depends on the on the dog, but probably start. Yeah, I wouldn't start probably start yard work till twelve months old. Um, yeah, a lot of people seem to get a kick out of getting them back and on that when they're really little. But you know, I think if you watch the uh, what was it called? The mustard, uh, the mustard thing. Yep. Yeah, like there was a young dog in there that got kicked, and that was about halfway through the show, and it didn't really come good till the end of the show. It still wasn't working properly again, so it, it set that little fella back a long time, mm. and so, I thought so, it was quite noticeable. Question here from Shannon McPherson: How much work would you give a fourteen-month-old dog? Much as it wants. Yep. It's 14 months old. Like I, I would, I would rate my dogs. At 12 months old should be able to go and do pretty much anything. They got to be earning their keep by the time they're 12 months old. So at 14 months old, you should be able to dish up pretty much whatever. Should be doing a bit in the yard. It should be able to go out mustering with you. You know, it should be. Yeah, it should be stepping up. If it's not stepping up by 14 months, yeah, well, look for an option. <laughs> Do you have an age limit where pup has to be showing you something or has well, to be switching on? Not really a limit yep. as such, but I would like a pup pretty confident at six months old. If it wasn't showing me the attributes, actually I probably wouldn't last that long. If it wasn't showing me what I wanted, you know, four months old, I probably wouldn't go on with it. I'd let someone else have it. They might be able to make a better dog out of it than me. So... Ben, as a part, he's asked, when visiting a customer after you've sold the dog to them or, or beforehand even, how do you assess if they're a great or ordinary stockman? Could it be how they handle their dog or how, how their stock are educated? Oh, it's probably a bit of both. Um, I, think, I think it's important to educate your stock. You know, I, I, when I'm doing stock work, I generally have my dogs holding the sheep on the track. So if I wander off to move a mob of sheep or something up in front of us, the dogs will keep the sheep on the track. Um, and the same with my stock. They, they, they're trained or, you know, they, they, they know to walk on the track as well. So, yeah. Does that answer your question? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, but I think a lot of, lot of stock work is very repetitious. You know, so you, after a while, your dogs know what you want. You know, like Mindy, for instance, if I go to a gate and the sheep are going through the gate, she'll know which side to go, whether she goes right or left, or, you know, she'll know what she needs to do and where she needs to go. I haven't got to tell her. Yeah. And, and she'll, she'll get around. If the gate's only open, sort of back out towards the stock, which is, you know, obviously the wrong way. But if, if a gate back opens back out onto the stock, she'll get herself around in position behind the gate so the sheep don't go behind the gate. I, I don't have to tell her to do that. 
I'll try to flip through the questions here to keep up. Well, did you have no That's all right. Are there any particular traits you want to put into your dogs moving forward? If you, if we're talking about you thinking about joining there earlier, yeah. what, what's a trait you'd like to see come through in those parts? Um, hang on, hang on. <laughs> Is there a love stack happening here? Which is basically temperament. Um, I'd like to see them holding their sheep up pretty early. Um, I'm hoping to keep one of them myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Live long enough. Um, yeah, so it's just if I if I can find the right dog, because Mindy probably lacks a little bit of um, push on a big mob, like she's too intent with holding the mob together and not letting them get away. Um, but if I'm on foot and I'm with her, you know, she's good, she'll back and bark or do anything out in the paddock. But if I'm in the buggy and I'm like around the front, she's a bit soft at the back. So I'd probably like a dog with a little bit more, you know, work up a bit closer and a little bit more direct, yep. which what that's what the dog will have that I pick out. Um, yeah, I've got I've got a dog in mind at the moment, and Chris Egan owns him, and um, he's by Red, and he's uh, she's out of a bitch called Rose, and Rose is out of um, blah, 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 blah. can't remember her name there, but it's actually Alice's mother, mm -hmm. and Alice was a bitch I had that I rated very high. Mm -hmm. um, I rated Red very high. He's got some good dogs. I made a Mindy to Red. Yeah, I think you wanted one, didn't you? I did, mate, and I'll kick myself every day that I uh, moved him on to the guy. Yeah, the bloke's got a now record the best dog he's ever had. I know, I know, he told me. I kicked myself. You tried killing him that. <laughs> I uh, moved him on the keep one and then I was like, I made the wrong decision, but uh, I'll learn from that. Hopefully, probably not, but I probably should. And, and now that um, you're not working every day, mate, how much time would you put into training your dogs and even moving forward? Like every, when, every, when day, every day is a training. Yeah. Um, but the little, uh, with, with the young one I've got now, she's about, she'll be two in June or July or something. But, you know, I, I, I run them on the sheep. Most days, I'll just go out and round up a mob of sheep just for fun. I don't have to walk up the paddock. Um, nowadays, I do it in the buggy. I'll, I'll sit in the buggy and I'll drive backwards and work my dog out of the buggy. <laughs> and uh, which is pretty good because the sheep get used to following the buggy too. So yeah. it's not it's not a problem to do, and it, it just sort of gives them exercise and and uh, yeah, they work. You spoke earlier about you. Thinking like backing is just, you know, it's the quickest way to get from A to B. Thank you. Backing does nothing. Yeah, absolutely. When would you put a dog? How old would you a pup have to be before you put it in a race? Uh, probably six or eight months. Yep. I'd probably put them in. I wouldn't be expecting to do anything. Just put them in there to um, see what they're going to do. Mm -hmm. If they jump up there and they're confident up there, and that's all I want to see at that stage. I mean, I wouldn't start putting pressure on a dog any yard until probably 12 or 18 months old. They they probably go in there and help the other dogs, but I don't expect much. You know, I just expect them to do their thing and I let them run along with the sheep and, and push away around the fence and that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, so um, yep. 
<laughs> You're right. What about? Um, you run out of questions. Uh, we got plenty of questions. <laughs> what about your thoughts on AI with a dog? Um, obviously, using dogs that have been dead for some time compared to using the best one you can find today. Good, Laura. I wish I had a whole year and AI. AI in dogs. Like oh, that. yeah. How do you feel about AI? Oh, I mean, mate, I would love to have a bucket load of Max Seaman at the moment. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's a, it's a good thing. Chris has done it a couple of times and he's, he's produced some good dogs. And, but, but the problem is, it's what we were talking about before, is what makes a good sire? There's no point in keeping semen of a dog that's not a good sire. Yep. If you're just yeah. keeping it because you like the dog, it's probably not that beneficial to you. You know, I mean, there's a, there's a few dogs that in the past that, you know, you, you could have saved semen for. But see, when Mac was around, what like AI wasn't even a thing. Like, I, I don't know that anyone even collected dogs, semen back then. It's more been lately when they've been down with the greyhounds and stuff, and then that sort of got the ball rolling. Yeah. yeah. And, mate, you, like you said, you've been trolling there for a long while now. Um, Bloody you, long while. <laughs> and, and been around mm -hmm. a few different handlers, mate. Have you noticed a change in the um, way people handle stock and dogs? Oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah, lots, 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 lots. Um, there's a lot more with the schools and that now. There's a lot more people handling their stock better. Well, in my opinion, it's better. Yeah. Um, they're not ripped tear and bust, and they they're thinking about what they're doing a lot more and thinking about working their dog, and they they value their dog a lot more than they used to. Um, yeah, no, I know. I think schools schools are probably one of the biggest things that have made stock handling a lot better. Um, yeah, so next question. Yeah, Laura. You're up, Laura. <laughs> Is there anything when you see people handle stock that makes you go like look away or anything? Makes them what? Makes you when people is there something when other people are handling stock makes you cringe? Oh, yeah. I don't know if there's any one thing, but having good stock people is a bit like finding a good sheepdog. When some people are born with the knowledge how to handle sheep and cattle, and some people could do it for the rest of their life and they wouldn't be able to do it properly. But then again, that's only my opinion. Yep. Um, in my opinion, they're not doing it properly. So they probably think they're doing it properly. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, yeah, it's... There's no one thing really, mate. No, just probably a probably a controlling your temper would be probably one of the biggest <laughs> thing. And if there was a message that you would like to get out into the industry, what would your message be? Stay calm. Just try and stay calm all the time. Just yeah, just don't don't expect too much out of your dogs. Don't try to make your dog do anything. Because the more you try and make it do something, the worse off you're going to be. That's why when I go right back to what we're talking about before, if the dog's got the natural ability working the way you want it to work, that's why it'll work because it's already working the way you want it to work. And, and to put it into human terms, I don't know whether you watch rugby league or not, but if you watch Wayne Bennett train, he's probably one of the oh, one of the best trainers, if not the best we've got in Australia, but he buys players that are trainable mm -hmm. and he, he watches the how they play football 
And if they play football the way he likes football played, they're the people that he picks. And they're going to be trainable and they can't back chat or that is, if, you know, if he asks them to do something, they've got to do it. Yeah. And I, I put sort of very closely to uh, training dogs. And, and the other one I put very closely to training dogs is children. I think training a dog is not that much different to training a child. Um, or, you know, I mean, say training a child, it probably might be a bit harsh. But, you know, the, what do you expect the child to do uh, and what do you expect dogs to do are, are pretty similar in a lot of ways. Definitely. So you've obviously done a fair bit of trialling uh, over the years. Why do you enjoy trialling? Why do I? Yeah. Uh, I like the competitiveness, competitiveness of, it, of it. I also like the camaraderie and the... Oh, just, yeah, the people. Um, we used to have a, a ball back in the day, but it doesn't seem to be there as much these days. People seem to be in their little groups, probably more. Um, but, yeah, we used to have a bloody good time back in the day. Wild Dog Trial was one in particular. We used to go to the Red Steer up there and run amok. This sounds like a good story in itself. Uh, a lot of good stories. <laughs> <laughs> we, we might keep that for, uh, for an MA yeah, or an M, M segment one day, right? Yeah, we might. We might move. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and, and what's your favourite format of trolling? Uh, probably field troll. Yep. I would if I had to have a favourite. And why is that? Um, it just shows your dogs off better. Um, I think the things that they got going there. One of the things they got going there is the. They got the yard trial, the cattle trial, and the and the three sheep trial. Yep. That's basically the same thing. Um, I think that will probably take off better. Um, but the problem with it is it takes so much organising and so much stock. But, you know, a lot of people whinge about trials, but they've never run one. And you know, until you run one, you've really got no idea what you're talking about. Takes a lot of time and energy, doesn't it? Yep. A lot of organisation and and unfortunately, a lot of dollars. Yeah, I mean, it's just crazy, really. It's a bit like, I mean, I, I've been watching all this crap on bloody TV with war and, you know, they, they, they grill on this. What's that young fella in bloody Sydney? They grill on Ben. Oh, I can tell you, I haven't watched much no, TV. No, really. it's bloody, anyway, it's war crime stuff. Okay. But then, like, he, he's just done probably a few bad things and but then you got Russia bloody doing what they're doing and, like, the people are making decisions, bloody grilling these guys. They've got to get out there and have a bit of a look themselves, I think. And anyway, that's a different story. So. Yeah, but I get where you're going with that as well. Yeah. On that note, Chris Egan, do you have any tips for the types of trial organisations to keep moving forward? Um, he says, I guess you would have seen all the trial and error throughout the growth of the sports. So what would you say to associations, judges or participants to help. Yeah, it's, it's the problem that you're seeing on Facebook a fair bit these days where people knock judges and you've really got to be careful when you start knocking judges because judges do it for nothing pretty much and like it's a pretty thankless bloody job and um, you know there's a, there's a big thing going on at the moment on Facebook and about whether we should use scorecards. I mean, we've used scorecards in the past and there's twos and fro's on both of them, but 
from my point of view, I wouldn't use scorecards because I have been gruel so many times over people. Like you, you, you judge a trial and then the person goes to the tent and gets their scorecard. You're trying to judge the next one. And they're coming over, hanging over the fence saying, oh, where did I lose before? Why did I lose points here? Why did I lose points there? And, and like, it's just not on. And, and the other the other, one, other end of it is that oh, we can have the card at the end of the day. So you just finished judging about 60, 70 dogs and you got these twits, for the want of a better term, and bloody come up and want to know where they lost their points bloody 50 dogs ago. Like, there's no way in the world you're going to remember. Even though you've got the scorecard, it's just you don't remember what happened. And, you know, I'm a, I'm a big judge, uh, big, not a big, I am a big judge, actually. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I tend to judge on results more than more than actually anything else. You know, I, I'm about, there's a few little pet hates I got in judging, but, um, you know, one, one is when your dog comes out at the end of the race and your sheep run across the paddock and the dog comes out and he's out in front of you. Uh, and you've got to bring your dog back around behind you. I think that's just a load of frog shit. Because I, I, if your dog's out there and you can't send it to the right and left sitting out there, you know, you haven't got control of it. And then if, if a dog crosses, I'll judge the cross more on the result of the cross rather than the cross. Yeah. Um, I don't particularly think crossing a yard troll's a big thing. Um, people make a big thing out of it, but I don't think it's a big thing. And you mentioned earlier, you know, you really like the setups of these trials, like with the cattle and the, the outside work and the yards all in one. Yeah. How do you think, uh, and we, we said how it's difficult to organise, how do you think associations could help the organisers of those trials? Probably not much. Because yeah. it, it's, it's really get down to grassroots where you've got to find the cattle, find the sheep, truck them, all this sort of stuff. It's just a big, big job, an expensive job too, if you've got to yeah. start paying paying the freight companies. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people people got to run a trial before they can quote too much on it. And, you know, you get all these people saying, oh, you've got to have 100 sheep to run a proper, proper trial. Well, let them go and do it. You know, most of the people that are not controlled haven't run one. Yeah. And do you believe that trials still simulate real work scenarios? Oh, uh, pretty much. You know, if a, if a dog can go and run a trial, he, he pretty much can do any of that job, whether there's 50 sheep or 500 sheep. And most of your dogs you'll find working in trials, except yours, are bloody doing day-to-day -day work, you know, and probably working hundreds of sheep. Like Michael Johnson works sheep every day. Chris works sheep every day. Um, you know, I mean, you've got Kevy. Well, Kevy used to, but he, he's sort of retired now. and He still mucks around. And, so it's it's all most of your thing. Like Ben Costa, he he works sheep every day or stock every day. Yeah. Um, Adam, he works stock every day. So uh, what was what was the idea behind um, starting yard trialing? What was what the idea behind starting yard trialing? Oh, uh, see, we were all young then, like <laughs> back, like I was only thirty, and. The three sheep trialing didn't really suit our dogs. Like when I say ours, I mean, you know, Chris's and um, Neil Gannon's, Malcolm Peak, whoever. Like um, we sort of thought, well, we needed something different. And like I said before, Jack Body had the only field trial at Holbrook, and that was working five sheep and drafted three off and go and put them through the obstacle. And we went to the Kelpie trial. 
I think probably the first one was in Victoria when Liz Kenna Kay won it. Um, it was more a field trial with yard and uh, paddock work. So, yeah, it's sort of come from there. Then we come back to Borough and um, we were sort of hanging around there. So we we just sort of thought, oh, well, it was well out the show mostly. Um, when I first went to Borough, um, I started with old Father Morrison and we used to run a three sheep trial at the show. And anyway, that, that sort of dwindled out to, uh, because it was too hard, you need too much room. And then we run out of room. And so then we went to uh, yard trials, which we could run under the pine trees and we could run them in the shade. And it, like, it was plenty of people, like a very good spectator sport where three sheep wasn't. Like really, three sheep like watching paint dry. And, uh, and you know, really, if you go to work three sheep, if you work two dogs in a day, you're doing really well. Yep. So it's it's long drawn out process. Whereas you go to a yard trial, you can work three or four or five dogs in a day. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. It just suited our dogs a lot better. Because, you know, our dogs are probably better on three sheep trials. <laughs> Do you think, or if you could change anything in trolling, would you have something you could change? I think, well, what sort of trolling? Any trolling. Oh, probably the, the worst thing in yard trolling, in my opinion at the moment, is judging. Now, I'm not saying it's bad or it's good, but it's it's just so open. Like, So yeah. we, don't, we don't have any score rules. We have rules. Yeah. But it's up to the discretion of the judge to take up as many points as he wants. Now, you know, like say for a cross, say for cross, come say for cross out of the race. Yep. Now, if that was me and the dog went the right way and the sheep went the right way and everything happened, I wouldn't judge it at all. I wouldn't take a point. Yep. Whereas someone, other judge might take three. Yep. He might. Yep. Yeah. And so there's, that's where there's inconsistency with judging um, and people don't understand or don't think about it long enough so they're comparing one run to the other but they're not comparing the one judge to the other so all the judges do judge differently so you can't really compare one to the other you can go to one trial and you win everything you go to the next trial you buddy you won't even get in the final yeah. because the judges judge differently and you know i mean i've judged chris a lot of times and he's judged me and probably one of the things that stand out probably more because I've been accused of being biased to him many times. But he and I like the same sort of dog. So the way his dogs work is the way I would judge and vice versa probably. Um, because I like to see a dog do a job naturally. I don't like to see it under you know, really hard, strict control. Um, so if, if a dog's doing the job and, and that's where you can judge on results, if a dog does a good job, you can sort of pay it to a point, um, whereas you don't have to take every point off. Um, you know, like if a dog crosses and it goes around the right spot and puts a sheep over to where they've got to go, in my book, that's good work, uh, even if it crossed. I mean, that, the cross to me in that situation means nothing. Um, even a tail turn, if a, if a dog is up forcing his sheep nice and tight, and that's what's needed at the time, in my opinion, mm -hmm. and a sheep breaks back and the dog has got to turn completely around and, and go and block the sheep, um, if he can do that successfully, well, that's good work. Um, 
Whereas, you know, even in a three sheep trial, if you, they have points for each thing. Like if you're in front of the bridge, for instance, and a, one sheep goes around the corner, it's one point. If it goes halfway along the bridge, it's two points. If it goes right around the bridge, it's three points. Whereas if I was judging the trial and the sheep were in the mouth of the bridge and the sheep just walked out willy nilly, I would probably take two, maybe even three points. If the dogs just stand there flat footed and not trying to cover the sheep or hold them in the, yeah. in the mouth yeah. of the race. So I still judge, I would still judge a three sheep trial on results rather than um, the rules to a point, to that point. Yep. I probably would be to a lot of people. <laughs> judges say is always final though, isn't it? Should be Both. anyway. Judges say is always final. Oh yeah, and like you've got to understand that everyone's not the same. Like we don't break dogs in the same, we don't work dogs the same, we haven't got the same situation. You know, everything's completely different. So, you know, people get too narrow-minded and they start they start talking about the way people judge and what they do, what they do here and what they do there. And, you know, it's it's just, they're too narrow-minded. They've got to be, they've got to be a little bit, open their mind up a little bit more and have a look at the big picture. So do you have a favourite trial to participate in? Do you have a favourite trial to participate in? Yeah, field trial. Yeah, is there one yeah. particular one? Oh, now? Yeah. There isn't that many. Probably old Kevy's at the Agera is probably one of the better ones. Yeah. Um, but the one I really, really like, I only ever went to once, was the USD trial out of Trialga. And Maddie and them used to run that one at Trialga. That was a bloody cracking trial. And they, they're sort of hard doing it at Geary now. I haven't, didn't go up there this year, but, um, you know, the dog that wins that generally is the best dog. Yeah. Um, not always, but generally. And does a young fella like yourself have a um, best achievement? What do you mean best achievement? Oh, what I've achieved the best. Yeah, what was your favourite? Oh, what, what do you consider one of your best trolling achievements or a special moment? It doesn't even have to be. A win. It could be anything. Yeah, probably. Yeah, I can't really think. When, when Mindy won the National Kill Patrol at Yanko, was a bit special. Yeah. And uh, Chris and I went over to Perth. Oh, far out. Back in the '83 or '4. It was a good trial. We'd done well over there. Um. I what I, I didn't win. He won, and vice versa. But yeah, we had a good trip. Sounds like there were plenty of good trips back in the day. <laughs> right? Oh no, we did have. Yeah, no, there was plenty of good trips. There was, there was probably. I don't know whether there was better dogs. Really, I mean, they were pretty good dogs. But there's more dogs today that are capable of winning the trial. I think. Yeah. Um, it's a lot more dogs, as in total. But you know, one of the, one of the pet eights I got at the moment with the R trials is an Elvis. You know, winning two novices. I mean, you go to a trial and you've got 70 novice dogs and, and 12 open dogs. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think it's not doing the trial any good, personally. I think it's those novice dogs are staying novices yep. for too long. And you, and you think that a lot of those novice dogs are actually capable of being open dogs because there's so many good That's handlers right. and whatnot. Yeah. Not they're now. not getting, they're not, there's so many dogs in the novice, like they're not getting. 
a break. Because you see so many novice dogs that continually make finals, but the wins are getting shared. That's right. The, win, the wins are the ones that matter. Because everyone's getting so wins. They, yeah, they, they, could, they could run second bloody 10 times. Oh, trust me, I've got one. Yeah, of them. Not, not achieving anything. Yeah. And I, mean, I, I would find it frustrating being a worker. Yeah. You know, I had a racehorse once and he runs seven seconds. <laughs> yeah. He didn't run eight. <laughs> <laughs> and while, while we're mentioning that, um, Generally, the Open is always run as your last event, right? And um, you encourage or your maidens are first. What's, um, and I'm just winging it here, what's your take on sometimes running the Open first so that they're getting the fresher sheep and you're testing your dogs a bit more rather than sheep that, already that's been not probably the That's not probably the main point. The, yeah. the worst one is they've been doing it forever. Ever since I first started, they run the encourage first. Three sheep trials are classic, but they... They're doing it a little bit more now. They're running the encourage at lunchtime. But they used to run the encourage on a yeah. Friday. And 99% of the people running working in the encourage are workers and they work them. Yeah. So they can't get there. And the yard trolls are a little bit the same, but yard trolls nowadays are pretty much only two days. Yeah. And you know, yeah, um, so it really doesn't matter when. But I mean you could run the encourage with an August if you wanted to, but oh, I think there's too much probably emphasis put on the encouraged workers and not enough guidance. I think, you know, if I, I was judging a, an encourage or a novice, I would want the encouraged worker to help their dogs more mm -hmm. when they're starting yep. rather than trying to stand there and prove a point and not get anywhere. I think it's really important. I, I mean, I still do it now. If, I, if I'm starting a young dog, you know, in the novice or maiden, you know, the first probably half a dozen trials, I'd help it around the course. I won't come off it much, but that don't matter. Yeah, you know, the dog's learning and not getting sour. Yep. If you start roaring at it and yelling at it and because it's not doing what you want it to do, and it, but it, a lot of the time it doesn't know what to do. And that's why your dogs work a lot better at home because they get into a routine and they know where they're going, what they're doing, where the sheep have got to go. And that's what you've got to try and get into your dogs when you go to trials. You've got to, the dogs have got to have a pretty idea what you expect and how the course is going and how you want them to go. So that's why it's important, in, you know, in my view, to help your dog around uh, initially. And everyone gets a win. Everyone gets a win. Like if, as long as you can walk off and you're happy with your dog, like it doesn't matter what score you get. You know, like old Jack Body said, he's never seen a good, a good dog a bad colour. <laughs> so in all your travels and trialling experience, is there something that you see handlers struggle with that we can all improve on? Probably expectations. Yeah. You know, like a lot of people got high expectations of their dogs and the dogs aren't capable of doing it. Um, I think a lot of workers, young workers particularly, put too much pressure on themselves, and that that relays to your dog, and that you know, turns it all pear shaped. Um, I I believe, and Greg believe as well, that if you use whistles, you don't have a voice. Um, what's the word I want? Pressure. Yeah, you know, like what, tone, a tone of your voice, like when you when you're talking to a dog. 
if you're nervous or you're cranky, your tone will come through, but with a whistle, it won't. So if you can work to a whistle, it's better. And, you know, same as I've been saying a thousand times, that's only in my opinion, but I've proved it right a fair few times. <laughs> when we first started about um, talking about trialling, we kind of touched on it, but we hear debates all the time that trial dogs don't make real work dogs. What's your take on that? Depends, depends on which trial you're talking about. Three sheep trial, I would say yes, yep. but not yard trials or cattle trials. Yep. Really all yard trials and cattle trial dogs are workers. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, I don't know. I, I, I think there's plenty of dogs out there working that earn their living. Heaps of them. Absolutely. Another little bloody story I had, I don't know whether I told you, but um, that Troy that I had, he was an old collie dog, and he got out one night at Numby and, and put about bloody 300 sheep in my backyard. <laughs> and I mean, if you had a look at where the gate is, I mean, people who have been to Dave Crawford's would know what I'm talking about. But they, uh, Dave's driveway goes up, oh, up the back of his house, and there's a bloody big steep hill bank above the house where they dug out the hole to build the house. And he put these bloody 300 sheep in there. And now he got them in there beyond me because the gate's on a corner. And uh, he had the whole bloody lot in there. Took me about three days to clean up all the shit. All the rocks come down off the side of the hill and the driveway was blocked. And uh, I woke up in the morning, all I could smell sheep pee. Uh, pee. Did, uh, was that your alarm clock that morning? Oh, no. Just wasn't good. Wasn't good. You, you got a couple of other things written down there, mate. There's a couple of other things you wanted to touch oh, on. I don't know. No, I think we just about covered most of them. And do we have any other trialling questions there, Laura? Did, did I tell you about the one with Pip? No. I told, told you about the one with Pip Hudson with his dogs with the bloody gears on back the front. You did. That was fantastic. I yeah. loved it. <laughs> Pip would love that. <laughs> there um, is one more question here. No. <laughs> Catherine Atkinson's asked, has dog trialling in Australia improved or involved in the right direction over the last few years, in your opinion? Oh, it's evolved. I don't know if it's improved that much. I don't know if it's gone backwards either. Um, I think there's a lot more people interested in it. And I think it's a really good, solid way to make your dogs better. And when people go out and compete against each other, they see what other people have got. And, you know, they can be sitting at home thinking, oh, their dogs aren't much. And then they go to a trial and look at the other ones and think, well, the dogs aren't that bad after all. <laughs> and Dan does it all the time. Does. <laughs> all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, I, I was probably lucky in a way when I first started trialing because... When I went to Mudgee, like there was some bloody good dog workers in Mudgee. There was like Ronnie Cover, George Cover, Jimmy Reed, Neville King, oh, just to name a couple. But they like Mudgee used to run one of the best three sheep trials in the state back then. And uh, you know, they the, have them guys up there like Charlie Cover now. He still works three sheep trials. Well, well, see, he was a bloody uh, yeah, he was Ronnie's son or is Ronnie's son. And they just had the three sheep trials at Canberra and now they've got a little mail on this week. Yep. So, so 
Go ahead, Laura. You're right. And, and tell us, mate, as uh, working dogs and livestock being passed down um, through the Wayman dynasty there? No. No? Stop <laughs> <laughs> with me. Yeah. I got a, I got a nephew, but he thinks he can work a dog or He's got a lot to go. What advice would you give to someone that wanted to pursue a career in the livestock or working dog industry? If you want to do anything in life, mate, just go and do it. Doesn't matter what it is. Livestock, good. Um, I think it's important if you can to do a job, any job, and enjoy what you're doing. Um, but if you don't enjoy what you're doing, change it and now and do something else. I'd hate to be in a situation where I had to go to work every day not liking what I did. Yeah. You know, yeah. I think that would be very off-putting. And there'd be thousands of people do it, you know, especially in the city. But, you know, I mean, you've got to really enjoy what you're doing. Great advice, mate. Something I've taken up on board myself recently. So <laughs> that's great, mate. And... Mate, is there someone in particular you'd like Laura and I to sit down and have a chat with on Dog Talk? Ah, oh, Lyndon Cooper, South Australia. He's a pretty knowledgeable fellow. He's a bit, someone a bit different out of the state, and yeah, he's been in it forever. He's one of the early original fellows. Um, he's been a mate, oh, God, I don't know how long, long time. Yeah, a lot of folks are still mates, and we've been mates for years and years and years. You know, Drew Barr, he's over in Western Australia. We don't work dogs anymore, he just drives trucks. But, yeah. you know, Chris Stable, him and I have been mates for years. Neville King. Yeah. Oh, God, I don't know. There's heaps of them out there. Old yeah. blokes. Old blokes. Old blokes. Still young, mate. 70 years oh, old. Oh, jeez. Uh, anyway, it's all good. We're all having fun. Why you keep going? That's the main thing. You've got to have something to get up for every day. That's the guy. You go and have a crack. I enjoy talking to Chris Egan on days. He's, he gets a little bloody, gets on a little trip sometimes. And <laughs> we have a good yarn. Yeah. He's, uh, you know, I've been around poor old Chris, bloody fair well, yeah. And I know he appreciates that all the time too, so. Yeah, we have, we have good yarns. That's the way. So, was there a question that stood out to you at all? Oh, woman. How Some am I going to remember that? There's only an hour and a half of them. Surely there's someone that. There's a, <laughs> few, there's a couple I, of good I, questions I, there. No, nah, you pick one. My bloody God. My last question was. That's all right. Well, uh, oh, there was a stack of them, wasn't there? There's a few. There was a few good ones there. Well, you know what? Chris Egan asked a stack of questions there, and you've mentioned him. He's a few always times. asking him questions. Well, yeah, he seems like one of your favourites. He'd be probably very handy in your situation most weeks. He's, <laughs> he's, good. Him. He's, he's pretty good. You know, he's a bag of dogs. Perfect. Good. We'll get on to Chris and get that out. We'll do it again now. <laughs> I want to use his dog over the <laughs> <laughs> well, why don't you listen to this, mate? Um, send us your details. I'm sure we've already got them anyways, but a bag of uh, Enduro um, Plus coming your way, thanks to our uh, sponsors Enduro there. And, Steve, I've, well, I've got your address and your phone number, and you've also got a bag of Enduro coming your way. You even know where I live now. I do now. <laughs> you can personally deliver it. Just make sure you keep the coffee warm, mate, before we get here. 
That was beautiful. Had a couple of them now. Yeah. That's your own copy. Get hungry, don't you? There we go. And Laura's going to have a good question for you here, mate. What is it, mate? So, would you rather <laughs> one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of ducks? Would you rather fight one horse the size of. Would you rather fight one duck the size of a horse or 20 horses the size of a duck? Of a duck? Well, I've got an empty called horse and I don't, like to, I don't think I'd like to fight him. <laughs> I don't know. That's a trick question. It is. I'd There's probably no go. To it. I'd just go the horse. I think. Is that one? Yep. That's one big one. One big one. There you go. Take him front on. <laughs> you want Mac back to put him on it? What, what do I get for that? Is that, is that a good answer or a bad answer? No, that was a good one. You get jelly bank. <laughs> <laughs> you get Thank the you bloody question. We really appreciate it. So it's been a great chat. Ball, finally, we finally got to make it work. We did. We did. And on short notice too, mate. So as oh, like I said, we really appreciate it. I couldn't believe it when you texted me yesterday. <laughs> and bloody, you sat here for half an hour the bloody, that other night trying to get it to work. We did, yeah. At least it kept cutting out Michael Johnson anyway. So at least it was not my own. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't all my fault. It's uh, the cow region. That's it. Uh, I've got to go and watch Matty Sherwood. I missed that the other night. There you go. I have a listener here. So I've got a bit of a problem that. because we got maths on the same night and Viv's got to watch that. <laughs> so I've got to watch the replay. No, thank you very much for your time, mate. Much no appreciated. And uh, thanks to everyone who's watching this back as well. We uh, hope you really enjoy this. And please remember, we learn every day and the day we stop learning will be a sad one for all of us. Yeah. That's the go. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Laura.